Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. I'm continuing the the series that we've been in, Encounters with Jesus in the Gospels, Liberated by Love. Um, And I just want to start with this quote um, from Mother Teresa. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And whenever we started to dream about the long table and these kinds of things, we thought, let's do small things with great love. And that is what our aim is. And not knowing that um, Dan and Kerry were going to talk about Farmbox, but in a beautiful synergy, I wanted to talk about Farmbox this morning. So the next slide. So about a year ago, we had some iftar meals and we had a public meeting. And the next slide is our friend, my friend, Majulin, and Jenna and Hamoudi, her children. And... um, how I got friendly with them was while we sat at the iftar meal or the public meeting, um, Mahudis came and climbed onto my knee and sat there for the rest of the meeting. And anyone who's on Friday night can understand that's exactly how Mahudi would start a relationship. He just climbs on your knee and, and sits there. And um, we've been doing farm boxes a community for. Well, since 2014, I can't do the maths. I'm sure it's a long time. Nine years. Stephen and I just got involved. After that night, we chatted to Majulin, and she said to me, I don't want charity, I want a friend. And I said, okay, I can do that. We can do that. And so we became friends. And um, any of you who are on down a Friday night will know that in the friendship, there's one boss, and it's certainly not me, it's Majulin. Um, And uh, she's a really brilliant Syrian woman who spent three years walking here with her children. So little Hamoudi who climbed onto my knee, and she's happy for me to share this. We talked this morning. Um, She chose the photo that was to be shared. Uh, And anyway, Hamoudi was six months old when they left Syria and spent three years being carried through varying camps. Um, So it kind of explains why he would get onto the knee of a stranger, because he's trying to make the world safe. So a couple of weeks ago, they got this is we take them our far, their farm box vouchers and they have food waiting for us. It's quite something every two weeks, and we really enjoy the friendship that we have with them. And this photograph was us three weeks ago because it was a kind of special one because Majulin got her right to remain, and so she now has her own home. She has all her benefits, um, and it's a really amazing thing for her um, and she will now no longer require farm box and will free up a space to serve another family because she has access to all that she should have access to in this country and um, on the whatsapp group the redeemer whatsapp group i put out that she needed some furniture and i just wanted to give a shout out because we put these things out and maybe you all don't know what then happens By five o'clock on the day that we put the WhatsApp out, Gavin and Lindsay had been to her house and delivered a wardrobe, a set of drawers. Three days later, Johnny, Lauren, Tim, and Mark Todd with his van 
took a part of wardrobe, took it to her house and rebuilt it and gave her some other furniture. And she is so thankful for this community. And I just wanted to say that when we're talking today about feeding the 5,000 and the miraculous work of Jesus, I think there's more to this story than simply God does miracles. I think the beauty of this story is that we are invited to be the generous, abundant response of the Lord in this land. And Farmbox is a small thing, but it's done with great love. And if we can do more, that's beautiful. The other thing I wanted to show you was a little handmade toilet bag that is made by the legend that is June Carton. If you haven't got to know June Carton, get to know her. She makes these, she fills them with toiletries, and we have them sitting up here every Friday night. And every Friday night, they're all lifted. It's beautiful. Small things with great love. And now I want to talk about this passage. Brueggemann writes, In feeding the hungry crowd, Jesus reminds us that the wounds of scarcity can be healed only by faith in God's promise of abundance. And we'll come back to that in a little while. I want to just read you the passage. We're reading from Luke. It's the only miracle of Jesus that is found in all four Gospels, so it's one to pay attention to. I'm reading the um, account of it in Luke. It's on the screen behind you. What has happened just before this is that Herod has beheaded John the Baptist. And Jesus, I imagine, being human, is scared, is tired, is weary, is sad. All of the beautiful emotions that we see him express throughout the Gospels. And the, the disciples and, and the apostles in him have been teaching and healing and casting out demons and doing the work. And then we'll pick it up in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethesda, Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So, set that out of my way. Um, the context of this, as I said, John has been beheaded. Jesus, Herod is now saying, I wonder who this guy really is. He started to hear the stories. He started to see the miracles. He started to see the healings. And he's thinking, who is this guy? And he's wandering about and he's wondering. And Jesus is tired, perhaps. He's grieving. He's weary, perhaps he's scared. 
He was the one on the cross that said, if any, if you can take this from me, take it from me. I find that beautiful that we see him fully human in the Gospels. So he withdrew. He went to this deserted place, and it's across the waters of Galilee, so it's out of the jurisdiction of Herod. He's trying to get away. And suddenly, he's surrounded by people who are desperate, people who are hungry, people who are thirsty for the bread and the water of life, people who are needing healing, people who are scared, all of this stuff. In John's Gospel, Philip talks about the cost. Actually, it would take half a year's wages to give everybody one bite. So he's working out, what is this going to mean? You're telling us to go feed them. This is what it would mean. Fun fact, it was, I've always thought it's feeding the 5,000. It's feeding the 5,000 men. But men didn't travel alone. They traveled with their, their wives and their children. So when I was a kid and thought he fed 5,000, no, he didn't. He probably fed 15 to 18,000 people. But because of the way the stories were told in that culture, we simply counted the men. I don't need to say anything more. You know what I'm thinking. So let's call it Jesus fed the 18,000, which is really quite incredible. And perhaps the miracle, I think the quote should come up behind me, the miracle is not just in the provision of the food, but in the invitation to participate. And so I've been thinking about Jesus as a little kid. He's now coming up to the age of 30. He's been teaching. He knows who he is. He knows his anointing. But him and as a kid, do you remember how mums, and they still do, mums sing to their children? You tell them stories. You tell them about your life, and you sing to them. I remember the songs that I used to sing to my children. Um, he would have heard his mother sing in the Magnificat. It's, it's, noticed in Luke, it's, it's noted in Luke chapter 1, verse 52. He fills the hungry with good things. Mary would have been singing that song because she would have heard the songs of the Old Testament. Hannah singing, noted in 1 Samuel 2, the hungry are fed and they are spoiled. Jesus would have been a wee kid who was raised on these songs and would have known what his faith meant, that the Lord in heaven supplies abundantly and feeds all who are hungry. Exodus 16, those stories would have been taught to him on his mother's knee. Manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. The children were called out, God's people were called out, and as they walked, manna fell down. This was not the first time something miraculous happened. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha tells his servant, go and feed everyone. And he says, there's not enough for 100 people. And everyone got fed. This is a story of a God of abundance. A God who gives immeasurably more than we need or ask for, physically and spiritually. Isaiah 25, the talk about the feast for all the world. Isaiah 40, 10 to 11, the feeding of everyone is an act of compassion and a demonstration of the kingdom. So here is Jesus, that little boy who would have heard those stories, would have heard those songs. He knows what is happening. He knows the faith, the kingdom of God that he is heralding in. He's saying this is the new way. And he 
looks at the people who are hungry. So what would have happened at the end of the day is people have gone out and followed him and they'd have said, go and get yourself a bed for the night. Go into the villages, go and find some food. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You feed them. Jesus, if he was going to do a miracle, which he did by supplying five loaves and two fishes to 18,000 people, he could have just miraculously sorted the food out there and then, but he didn't. He invited the disciples to get involved. He invited the disciples to participate and to become part of the solution. And that is sacramental theology. We are invited into the story of God and we are invited to be part of the story of God and how he responds to the world. The poor disciples were trying to work it out. Philip was going, well, it's going to cost this and it's going to cost this. Because often when we are invited to do the work of God, we think it's about us. We think we've got to work it out. Philip's doing the literal maths, half a year's salary. We're forgetting that when we bring our little to him, he's in charge. And the economy of heaven is not ours. The economy of heaven is one of abundance and that there is enough for everyone if we would only share it. So what stops us sharing it? I'm going to ignore that, Gustav. Quote, skip to the next one. Walter Brueggemann writes so beautifully on the, scar the scarcity that, of the world and the abundant liturgy of heaven and how we are caught in the middle. He says, we must confess that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity. A belief that makes us greedy, mean and unneighborly. We spend our lives trying to sort out that ambiguity. God created a world of abundance and if we share, there is enough for us all. Genesis 1, it's a liturgy of abundance. He made this and it was good. He made this and it was good. He made this and it was good. Everything in the kingdom, the Edenic call was good and we messed up. We lost that. We were born into the magnificent, inexplicable love of a God who had loved the world into being. And the story of God tells us that we will end our lives with God and his love. We're going to take nothing with us. Our lives begin with God and they will end at God. And surely that should impact how we live in the present. And yet I think we still live like we're caught in Pharaoh building brick after brick after brick. Desp I want more, I need more, I have to have more. I can't share, I'm worried, I'm scared. We hold on to what we were given like it was ours when it's not ours. We hold on to what is the gracious work of the kingdom like somehow it's to do with us or somehow it's in we're in charge of it. The world operates and we are caught in the world, but it operates by the myth of scarcity. We accumulate, we take, we dominate. It's all fear-driven and we're our fear of never, ever having enough. And the core beliefs of scarcity, I would suggest, lead to war, hunger, injustice and inequality. We stay on top by we keep others down. We want more and more wealth, and we go have less and less generosity. 
If I think of the people in my own life, my friends, those who have least are the most generous friends I have. They humble me every time. I have friends who are very wealthy, and I am wealthy. We are wealthy. In a world perspective, we are so wealthy. Do I hold on to it? Do I keep it tight? Do I live? There's a biblical principle of tithing, and not to get legalistic, but why would we choose to not tithe, to not say 10% of everything I have is yours? I would suggest it's because we're living in the myth of scarcity. We're living by the world's way, ways. And I don't want anyone to ever give out of a legalistic decision. We must give out the abundance of our experience of the Lord's generosity. And when we give out of that, 10% seems like nothing. 10% seems like nothing. And I wonder if we switched our mindset and challenged ourselves to live less as the world's view of scarcity and more in the abundance of heaven, what would our community look like? If we gave of our time, we keep talking about serving teams. If we gave of our time, we wouldn't need to ask for volunteers. We wouldn't have a generation of teenagers sitting in a room with no youth provision. We wouldn't have to keep saying we can't do this this week because we don't have enough. We would be overwhelmed with thankful, grateful hearts wanting to share the abundance that we have experienced. We wouldn't be worrying about whether we fund things. We wouldn't have spending freezes. Jesus' economy is a mystery of abundance and a cruciform kind of generosity. A cruciform kind of generosity. Jesus demonstrated that the world is filled with abundance and freighted with generosity. If bread is broken and shared, there is enough for us all. Jesus is engaged in the sacramental subverses, subversive reordering of public reality. That is the story of the cross. That is the story of Jesus. And when we look at this story in the Bible. It is a miracle, and God still does miracles. I firmly believe them. We see them all the time. But I wonder, is the bigger story of this Jesus feeding the 18,000, the figure I've decided to come up with, if the bigger story is actually the challenge that what if I give him my five loaves and my two fish, and I don't try and work it out, I give it to him, and see what happens. What if I join him in what he is doing in this world that has me not holding the accounts in my head? Someone, a mentor I had many years ago said to me, Stephanie, show me your bank account and I'll show you your heart. It was a very sobering challenge, but it was right. You cannot love God and mammon. You cannot love stuff and Jesus. Show me your bank account, Stephanie, and I'll show you your heart. It's a very good question. It's a very good challenge. And it's one that I want to put to us all today, not because this is appeal for money. It's appeal to our hearts. We as a leadership team, most of us were away this week on a 24-hour retreat with um, the leaders of Tobar. And there was a guy who spoke about the work of Jesus at the minute in Iran. 
And the question he posed, and, and Dave referred to it, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Do I believe he's worth it? And I have sat with that question all week and thought about it and wondered about it and prayed about it and thought, if I believe he's worth it, then it needs to look different from my Monday to my Saturday, not just today. If I believe he's worth it, my bank account will look different. My timetable will look different. My relationships will look different. He talked about how people come to Jesus. In Iran at this moment in time, it is the fastest growing church in the world. It's phenomenal. And it was humbling to hear people find Jesus and within 24 hours, they're knocking the doors of their neighbors. They're risking life and limb and imprisonment and everything. And I thought to myself, when was the last time I talked to someone in my life about Jesus who wasn't another follower? Who wasn't another follower? Is he worth it? I've been sitting with that all week and I invite you to think about that. Is, do you believe he's worth it? And if you do, it will transform. That will be the miracle you will see. A transformation of your heart and of your life. Jesus' economy is a mystery of abundance and the cruciform kind of generosity. I want to end with this thought. Stephen was doing my slides and he said, who said this? And I said, well, it was me, so you don't need to put my name up. <laughs> what if the difference between the generosity of God and our neighbor's need is us? What if we as a community were to lay down the scarcity, mind scarcity mindset and lived sharing our abundance? What difference would that make in this room, on these streets, and in this city? I think that's the question we want to think about. And we want to think about it because we watch in this beautiful story of Jesus feeding all these people, he blessed the bread, he broke it, and he gave, over, gave it out. It was a sacramental theology. The table, blessed, broken, and given. And that's what you and I are called to be. That is what our lives should look like. We are blessed, we break ourselves, and we give. That is the invitation this morning. So as the band come back to lead us in, in some songs, Perhaps we want to think. When I say a, a sort of challenge about how we spend our time and our bank accounts and all of that, that's not to bring shame or it's not to bring uncomfortableness or it's not to, it's not to do it. It's to say, let's live as those who are thankful and grateful. Let's share our abundance. When we were sitting on Friday night and we... We put out tables of the clothes that we don't want to wear anymore. I brought my 86-year-old's mother's shoes down. They're nice enough shoes, but they're an 86-year-old mother's shoes. They're not great. I bought about six of them, and every last one was taken by someone who's probably in their 20s. I don't want to wear them. I've, I have found Friday nights humbling beyond words. Because when we're not giving of our generosity, we're giving of 
what we have. Generosity would look very different, I imagine, and I long to get there. But what I'm trying to say is this isn't about making you uncomfortable feel that you're getting a telling off. It's about saying, can we look at our hearts? Can we look at the model of Jesus that he's inviting us into? And what can we do different together? When you see people come and try on an old coat, there was a beautiful Nigerian guy came on Friday night at 20 to 6. And he came and I said, we're not actually serving until six. And he said, that's great. I just want to help you. So he, he helped us. And he's just land, he's arrived in the country in the last month. I'd been doing a clear out of some of our kids' rooms. And there was a bag that my daughter had got for her 16th birthday. And I decided at the age of 29, if she hasn't used it, it's not going to be used. So I brought it down. It was a little bench, sort of what I might call a man bag. You know, a wee bag. So I sat on that bench and he came up for his dinner with the man bag on and he said, I love this. And I, I was very humbled by that. It's laying in a room in our house for 13 years, never lifted. Because we have too much. We have too much. And he's arrived and he's thankful and he wants to be here every week to serve. The stories we could tell of Friday nights are, are really something. Don't miss out. Come down. You might not get any food because we're struggling, but <laughs> come down because it will remind us that when we give of ourselves and we offer ourselves to others, the reward, the sense of beauty, of humility in the room is quite priceless. Don't miss out. So perhaps now as we come to take this sacrament and remind us that he was blessed, broken and gave and that is the model that we are to live. Let's stand and let's worship. Would you two lovelies like to come and do the bread and wine? If you're new or this is your first week, as Dave rightly said, this is an open table. All are welcome. Please come. There's bread, juice and wine. Take it. Lock eyes with these beautiful followers of Jesus as you come and share blessed, broken, and given. Let's worship. Remain standing for a moment. I just really want to just honor Steph for what she's brought this morning um, and what she's been really leading us to reflect upon. It's a real main artery in the life of the Christian church. You know, that, that theme of scarcity and abundance, of believing in mammon or believing in the bread of the kingdom, the provision of the kingdom. There's a whole sermon series just in that that maybe we need to kind of lean into perhaps in the future. Um, and there's a challenge, you feel the challenge, but there's a beautiful joy when we participate in the kingdom and the economy of the kingdom. Uh, Steph was sharing, we're part of a church network called Tobar, uh, and Steph and I and Dan and Jillian and a few of it, a few years ago, we were at the Tobar gathering in a church called Emmanuel in Lurgan, kind of the mother church or the main church of that movement. There was a word spoken over Redeemer from, I think it was actually from the stage, Obviously, like a prophetic word. Um, so we do, we believe in the prophetic, which basically means we believe that God speaks today by his spirit. 
and he spoke through a few people on the stage and it was recorded and I'm not sure if we've shared it publicly it just feels just right I guess just to just feed this into what we've been reflecting upon this morning because the word for us was that if we go after the poor the Lord will provide for the rest if Redeemer Central you go after the poor and the marginalized the Lord will look after the rest and I don't there's a lot of uncertainty we're we're a group of maybe 100 people at max in a pretty broken building <laughs> with a temporary heating solution a little bit of money in our bank account but just about kind of enough to get by and yeah, I really do want to encourage. There's some of you that are really given sacrificially of your time and your money in these days. And there's some of us that are feeling that challenge and that fresh invitation to rethink about that again. But the promise that the Lord said was, when you follow Jesus, it means when you go after the ones on the margins, he will take care of the rest. And it's a word for us as a community. I feel it's a word for us to lean into in this season again it's a word for you to lean into even personally as you pursue Jesus you know the Lord will take care it might not look like what we would imagine but we really do trust in God's goodness and that that word that says we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living so I don't know what the future holds I don't even know what the future holds for this building or that heating system or any of that stuff and I don't really really care about that really i mean i do but what i really want to emphasize this morning what i encourage us i want to re reiterate that challenge again that staff's been bringing as we pursue those in the margins those that are in need those in fact where god is already there he's with the poor he's with those poor in spirit he's with those on the edges of our society when we pursue those people when we pursue them when we actually become like them when we enter into them and serve we actually receive so much more and he provides for us so it's a word for us to take with us i also just want to in addition to that just honor ian and libby ryan's just i wonder if a few people around them would just lay hands on them because ian and libby lead farm box there's a banner here and that banner's been there since 2014, and that ministry's been going on all through even the COVID years. And we have been talking a lot about some brilliant new initiatives that are really wonderful responses as a community to the need. But back in 2014, that ministry was established. The Lord brought that to us. We didn't go looking for it. And over the last number of years, Ian and Libby have been leading that. So can we pray for them and honor? Can we honor them, firstly, just for leading that ministry? Just put our hands together. Can you lead? And can you just lay hands if you're around them? And can we all just join in a prayer of blessing for them that's representative of what we want to be about as a community? And they have carried that and continue to lead that so beautifully. Lord, I thank you for your kingdom. And it's a kingdom of abundance, Lord. And as we live in, we live in, in Pharaoh's Egypt, we live in Babylon, we live in exile, we live where the story around us says that we are lacking and yet lord in christ we know actually we're part of a different kingdom a kingdom of abundance a kingdom of provision help us to learn and to realize that in our lives we just thank you for ian and libby 
for these, this brother and sister in Christ who've been leading us in serving the poor, those who are suffering from food poverty, those in our city, those families who are in great need for, for many years, faithfully, diligently showing up with bags of shopping, with food, with vouchers, and the team that they represent. There's more of you in this room that we just thank you for all of those beautiful souls. And we pray, Lord, that you would restore to them tenfold what they've given out, that you would encourage them and strengthen them and bless them. And Lord, that you would help us as a community to continue to serve those whom you would serve, to wash the feet of those whom you would wash, to go where you would go, Lord, and that we just trust that you're the God who provides for us as we do that. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray this. Amen. Amen.